Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. This is attempt number two at recording the intro. Uh, and I think it's in part because I have a guest today and he's watching me record this intro. That is the great Taylor Holiday. Taylor, say hello. What's up, Andrew? Uh, radical transparency as always, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, as always, I hate, I just hate doing the intro the most. But listen, this is an intro that is, is worth doing because today I think we're going to do something really unlike something I've done before, which is t I brought on Taylor um, in this period of my uh, career. I've had the opportunity now, having stepped away from my role as CEO of 4500, to reflect, to reflect a bunch. And I've, I've put out a few episodes about sort of different parts of this process of changing jobs and the transition and job seeking and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to kind of let you into my process now as I am thinking about my time, my tenure as CEO, particularly as CEO of 4500. I was there for a while before that too, but particularly as CEO. As a first time CEO, what I thought about that. And Taylor has been the CEO of some stuff for a while, including Common Thread Collective. I'll let him talk more about that in a second in case any of you don't know. Um, but uh, Taylor, of course, also is one of the partners uh, and founders of 4x400. And so I reported to him uh, and to a couple other people as well, but uh, on a board. And so what I want to do is take a moment because Taylor has had, has had plenty of time to reflect on his own role as CEO as well. And what we're going to do on this episode is talk about our top three mistakes as CEOs. And then at the end, I'm going to ask Taylor to grade me as a CEO as honestly as possible. I want, I want a letter grade, A through F. Um, this is a, hopefully a testament to the strength of our relationship because I've told him in no uncertain terms that he's to be honest about this. Um, and I'm going to grade myself as well. So um, so we'll talk about some mistakes and and, uh, and hopefully you'll learn from them. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, let's get into it and then and then we can talk about it. All right, Taylor, how you doing? You know, um, I'm feeling reflective. Got to spend a little time doing a little pseudo journaling here, writing down and reflecting on some of my biggest mistakes. The list is long, uh, and there are many to choose from. But I think I think we've honed in on some good ones here for this. Yeah, and I think I think it is a good. Uh, I think I think let's start with a compliment, which is that I think when I asked you to do this episode, I I had no question that you would have no problem. <laughs> Being honest, identifying some stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a wrong way to take that. That you make a lot of mistakes, but of course you do, and everybody does, right? Yeah. So um, I just hadn't. I I knew you would. You would be like, oh, of course, we can talk about that, which I think is a really good uh, element of your character. So that's good. Yeah. Um, tell people what you are the CEO of. I think people know, but just in case they don't understand, and maybe maybe as you do, you know, four by four hundred people have heard the journey. We you started with sort of brands and ideas of brands raised a little bit of money and then um and then got up to five or six brands and have people have now heard that we're going back down to one yep um so people have kind of heard that journey but i think people are tangentially aware of ctc but maybe you could talk through kind of a little context of sort of what that journey has been like yeah um so we're actually coming up on our seven year anniversary of common thread collective um which is what uh an e-commerce growth agency that helps uh, consumer product e-com brands uh, grow profitably under the mission of helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. Um, and it really began um, <laughs> as a mechanism for me to take what I had learned on my first foray in brands uh, with Power Balance. And then I worked for an agency, which is now Vayner Commerce for a long time, not a long time, but for a couple of years. And um, I began like many people as a sort of consultancy, me and my partner, Jordan, providing really uh, strategic services. We weren't executing anything um, for a number of brands in the sports space. 
And we had dreamed up this idea of building this ecosystem of not just an agency, but ultimately a way to launch our own brands. And um, at the time we had wanted to start a, like a, like a talent agency. Like, so we had this idea of building an ecosystem of businesses that all were around the idea of helping launch products and brands. And um, I would say we got lucky that the agency began in the Facebook era, like, right. So like, right as Facebook was taking off. And so we never had dreams of really, the agency wasn't really the point ultimately. Uh, but it became more than we anticipated for a number of reasons. Part of that being um, the program and mission that we got connected to in the middle of it through helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and TMYD and everything that became to us, as well as just the success because of what was happening with Facebook and our knowledge and sort of riding the wave of that. And now uh, seven years in, we're about 150 people and um, we're really proud of the work that we get to do alongside some incredible partners and people. Awesome, so you've, you've built uh, with with the help, of course, it's always tempting to have the great man theory of history, right? Where you built it, but uh, no, no. you with some other help built it. But uh, the CEO chairs real, and it means that you get a lot of credit for that. And um, so, um, funny so thing on that, and I, if I get one, yeah, yeah, one yeah. thing, I I actually have used the CEO title for the first time this year. I uh, forever, and this is like I think somewhere in the like uh, psychology for myself of all of this is that I've always called myself the managing, managing partner. partner. Yeah. And it, it's because like we have a lot of partners. We have, I think, you know, uh, at the, we started with four and then I think there's up to like eight different, you know, uh, equity holders. Now there's obviously all the employees alongside at CTC as we sold part of the company to the employees. But I always felt like my job was better encapsulated by being the elected representative of a group of people whose interests I had to maintain. And I said, didn't like as much the CEO title, but now that we've become an S-corp, like, uh, and there's just some other reasons, like, I've actually started using it for the first time, and I'll, I'll tell you, I still have a weird relationship with it. So that's just a, a, an odd side what note. What kind of weird? That's... What kind of weird? I, 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 I mean, I feel this. First, like I, when people used to ask me what I did when I was a CEO, I would always say I work in marketing. Like I just felt like, yeah. I don't know. It's just exactly. Weird, like... I, that's why it's so much connotation around the idea of it. And I think, you know, you're just in some ways insecure that like my little company needs a big, important CEO. Like it just feels like a thing that, uh, I don't know that I've, I've had to learn to identify with in a healthy way. And I think this is like broken in a lot of, it's sort of, it's similar to, we'll get into a little bit my relationship with the idea of money and how that's had to evolve. But um, I think denying it in some ways was denying my responsibility. And so that's one of the reasons this year right. I've decided to take it is to, to like decide that this is my job. Um, and I, I take on all the burden and associated responsibility with it, but yeah. we'll get into some of what I think is all well, tied up in this. Yeah, so I, I I don't know if I'm going to do this still or if this is going to be this episode, but I had I had another idea for an episode, sort of even more sort of like touchy feely, reflective on the title of CEO, yeah. kind of touching this stuff because um, it is interesting, and I I think you're totally right about that. That like actually I sh I wish I would have, you know, and I don't know that it was false modesty or something like that. I just I just was uncomfortable, like like you said, um, and so. Yeah. So and maybe that's even part of the reason I struggle with the intro on the show so much is like, yeah. what do I call myself and how do I talk about me as the person running it or whatever? Um, so anyway, there's a lot we could say there and maybe it's because you and I are messes, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to get into a lot of, <laughs> yeah. I think what you're going to see is that like a lot of these problems, um, they're human problems. Like they yeah. reflect our deepest issues as people, yeah. you know, that show up in our businesses. And so I think, I think we're starting to tease that out already. Yeah. By the way, side note: I told my wife that you were going to grade me on this, on uh, grade me on as a CEO on this. And speaking of human issues, 
you know my wife and she she got deeply uncomfortable very fast <laughs> she was so oh, stressed out about it <laughs> i i'd have figured she she'd have been the only person giving you a tougher grade than me so i'd have figured <laughs> i would have wanted brent to go first are you kidding me <laughs> yeah yeah she did not like the idea i was like that's fine uh, all right anyway okay so here's what i want to do so there's a couple of perspectives here right which is like you've seen both companies um in these key places uh we've worked closely together along this path um and uh, and CTC is doing amazing things. I would say beating our expectations for what we had thought of. Uh, I you know I don't know if that's true if you'd say it that way. But in terms of how I used to hear you talk about what CTC has become, in some ways I think it's become even bigger and more remarkable than you even expected at certain times or had vision for. And I'm sure it's evolved. Um, and 4 by 400 missed our expectations, um, no question. So um, so kind of two different perspectives there. Um, so let's talk about our top our top three mistakes that we that we feel like along the this these journeys that we have made um do you want to go first or do you want me to go first up to you man you're the host you all right go, go ahead why don't you why yeah. don't you start yeah my, my first one's pretty my first one's pretty simple and i think this one is actually like universally shared by a lot of ceos at least the, well i'll say is first time ceos they begin as founders or entrepreneurs and that is not spending more time becoming financially literate um business is a financial game period full stop and I, this is a combination of arrogance. It's a combination of just lack of classical training. It's a combination of like bad finance skills given to me by my parents, like a combination of things. Um, a weird relationship with the idea of money and like wanting to pretend like it didn't matter to me. And so that sort of showing up in the way I treated it uh, in the business, um, understanding financial tools like debt um, and how to, what they're used for. And again, I think we grew up in a similar subculture that I think has this weird Church. relation, meaning yeah, Christian yeah. white evangelical subculture that oh, yeah. debt has a weird, has woven its way in there through well, it's, some it's negative. people. It's, it's, yeah. Debt, debt is, you know, the, 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 uh, what is it? The, the, um, the debtor is a slave to the lender. That's the like the problem, that's right, right? right? So that's yeah. that's all I ever heard about that growing up. That's right. So I think there was a lot of that that I came into the business with, and so I just deferred generally um, deep pursuit of greater knowledge. It didn't occur to me that I needed this really sophisticated financial knowledge, and um, I just did. There's so much that I look back and I'm like, oh my god from forecasting to invoicing to the way we did our deal structures, they all reflected a misunderstanding of cash flow, a misunderstanding of like what the risks and opportunities are within a business. And there's so many financial tools available to help you grow more effectively, what it means to allocate capital, what the expectations of return on invested capital are generally and how my business fits within that broadly. Like there's just a thousand things that I was so naive to that I look back on as like, oh my gosh, like how, like how did I not realize this was so important? So, um, okay, so you're previewing my first one, but can I, can I, um, can I get you to say some specific examples? Because I have a couple of ideas. I have a couple of examples yeah. in my mind of things that I that I made mistakes that I or mistakes that I made in this area that um, were really problematic for us, and yeah. uh, and that maybe help illustrate the point. Yeah. So um, I'll give you a very agency classic example. Early on, our deals were all percentage of ad spend or revenue. Okay. Uh, and if you think about what that means is that that means I don't decide what I bill you until after I've delivered the service and then I calculate the bill and then I send you an invoice and then you have some terms on the invoice. So maybe they're net 15, but early on we had net 30 on like percentage of ad spend as a deal. 
that means our cash conversion cycle was so bad. We were paying our employees, doing all of the work and not receiving money for like 30 days until after all the work was completed. We were actually doing the next round of work before you even paid for the previous one. Um, and that made it so hard to manage cash. Uh, and so what we did, what we learned early on is that we created a minimum contract value that we would bill on the first of the month. And then we would reconcile the delta to the forecast at the back end of the month. So that, that amount of money that we were waiting for became like 5% of the total value of the contract versus the whole thing. And so like that as an example of just inverting the cash in an agency business was like, <laughs> we did this for years, waiting forever to get paid on stuff. So that's like one one example. Yeah, and then people pay late and like exactly, you know, and, and you yeah. probably were like trying to be nice about it and didn't have very good clear like here's what happens if you pay late and like yeah 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 yep. that's a great that's a great example that's that's a really really good example. Um, you know, you've talked I've seen you talk elsewhere about how about cash management in an agency versus an econ business and about sort of like the differences in those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other sort of like broad reflections for you about that that you've come to recognize? about the difference between agency and yeah uh, well e i mean you've just talked about like what is what it is so, to manage cash in an agency versus an e-com business and what, what the advantages and disadvantages are yeah so so i'll give you so like so i taught the reason i say that an agency business is easier is because my costs are more malleable right so like if you buy inventory you can't get that money back unless you go sell the product like it's tied up whereas in theory if i needed to lower the cost side of my business by 50 percent next month i could now one of the i'll give you another area i made a mistake in that theory um it's not actually true. Oh, sorry. I clicked on Siri. Sorry. It's not actually true next month because PTO is a liability on my balance sheet. Okay. So if I fired everybody tomorrow, I actually have to pay them in cash the balance of their PTO. And so it actually is very expensive in the short term to fire people. And so like, this is another example where I would say this trope about like, oh yeah, if next month I wanted to lower my cost by 50%, I could do that. I actually couldn't, not that easily, not nearly that easily in 30 days. I could do it in 60 or 90, but that's a plan that involves forecasting with more foresight than 30 days out. And so that's just another area. Like there's so many of these, like we used to not account for, like when we would forecast the business, um, we would not account for uh, like salary increases in the total payroll projection. Um, but every year that we went back and finally analyzed that, yeah, guess what? People's salaries aren't flat over a long period of time. They have an increase in cost. So then we started baking that. Like there's all these little errors that you make that create inaccuracies and, and breaks in your expectation that you have to learn to resolve. Um, okay. So last, last question about this. You talk about that as a big mistake and like not understanding debt also as a tool. Like, um, can you think of anything that if you had understood this differently, you think would have been different in the growth growth period of CTC? Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is like the amount of profit that we've generated along the way is the, is the consequence of all of this. Like we've grown revenue really, really well every year. Uh, we have not grown profit effectively every year. And this is all a function of understanding these costs side of our business with more accuracy. Um, it's a thing that, so I'll give you, like there's just so many little ways. Like another thing we used to do is like, for forecasting payroll again, what we did take is like the average salary of a bunch of, well, let's say you have 20 media buyers. And so we would use like, oh, you know, and this is like gonna sound so stupid, but this is just what we would do. Oh, their average salary is $72,000. So you would use $72,000 as the average salary for all the employees, but like averages are horrible because they hide like what's actually true. And then we would never update those averages often enough. And so there'd be these little 
discrepancies between the, what the actual payroll was and the sum of all these averages. And so we would like suddenly we would forecast the month. We'd think our payroll was going to be this, and then it would be you know twelve thousand dollars higher. And if your net profit is fifty thousand dollars a month, like that's a huge deterioration of your profit that you just yeah. that, that you just weren't planning to execute against. So the re you hit your revenue target, you were like, yeah, we did it, awesome. And then you're like, wait, what? Our costs were higher, and that has seemingly happened so many times where we would miss on the cost side of the business in ways that were surprises to us. And that's like. That is just like so much about attention to detail and actual understanding of where the numbers are coming from. Yeah, it comes back to what you said earlier, which is like the the, the whole game is finance. The whole, that's the whole the thing. Whole and so like thing. Yeah. that's that's the kind of thing you got to get right. Yeah, that makes sense. All yeah. right, I'll do my I first even think one. Like, you, and one thing, the last thing I'll just say because you brought up debt facilities. So like, um, we have, uh, and now I see it as a value. So one of the things like I look at working capital in my business now is the sum of cash plus available credit. Okay. This idea to me was not real before. The idea that available line of credit would be part of my available working capital to make growth decisions. Um, that was not intuitive to me at first and I didn't do that. Now I think about how, how much credit can I make available to me at all times and how could I deploy that in a way that would lead to greater growth down the road? Because invested capital today, if done well, has a future return of value. And so it could make total sense to go net negative profit right now it, for a future value, if I'm clear enough on the realization of that value. And so just like, that's just another example where I didn't even know I could go get a, a debt facility from the bank. And early on, candidly, we couldn't have, but, but now understanding that and being able to put them to work is, is helpful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I've, I've thought about this all the way down to like getting a HELOC in my house. Like, should, should I get access to that? Exactly. Because like, what if I want to invest that money somewhere? You know, I don't know. That's right. It changes with personal finance a little bit, depending on your sort of appetite for debt and the way it stresses you out. And there's some differences there, but for a business, it's, it's a, it's a uh, real thing. Um, okay. So my first mistake is the same capitalization and really not understanding. This is a little bit broader than what you're talking about. I mean, you could talk about the free cash flow issue, but, um, and sort of where that generate Jenna, uh, where you're generating cash. But um, above all, my number one unquestionable mistake was um, I think it's I think it's hard to argue this is my top mistake was really not being clear enough about how to capitalize our business relative to our goals, um, and that includes some some of the operational elements of that, which is like um, outlaying cash for inventory and just like how much working capital we needed. Uh, I really did not understand that. I thought of everything on a PL basis, everything on a sort of averages basis like that, um, and did not really think very much about working capital at all. And the more complex that got as we added brands, um, because I wasn't clear on it, it only compounded the problem for us. It just became a bigger and bigger and bigger problem, and I, and I wasn't clear enough about it. And for me, I think as a CEO, that's um, you know, the number one issue is capitalizing the business. And what that comes back to, um, what I just said, right, was adding more businesses and compounding the problem of working capital. Um, what that also comes back to, and this is something I tweeted about the other day and we'll link in the show notes, is that like, uh, I did not think at well at all about how to capitalize four by 400 relative to our goals. So, so the context here is that we um, raised a million dollars at a $10 million valuation. Do you remember when that was? Is it 2018, I think, something like that? Oh, I think God, we closed I... it somewhere in there. Yeah, maybe right in the beginning of 2019. No, because it that's when it I was CEO. 2019. So I think we closed it in like January 2018. Got the last yeah. last money in. Um, so I, I, you know, I wasn't the CEO then, but the um, that that round happened. Raised a million dollars at ten million dollar valuation um, with a few small brands, and it's essentially was it might as well might as well have been pre revenue. It was like it it, it functionally was because our, our brands are so small. It was seed 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 money. So. 
Um, anyway, so, uh, so we had this vision of this $150 million valuation that we were going to try and create um, in 4x400 um, because we thought that scale was going to happen a lot better and easier in, a, um, in consumer product businesses and retail businesses than in, um, than in an agency. Uh, so for those of us who were kind of connected to the broader ecosystem that was connecting all these companies, that was the way we thought about it, which is part of why I say earlier that our expectation for CTC, I think, has changed um, and over time. Anyway, uh, so, so we raised that money. And that means that at that point going forward, we had done two things. One of them is we had made, created obligation to investors, which was now unchangeable, right? Unless you paid them back and got them out of this. That's it. You have investors, you have a board, you have obligation to them. And that's that. So, so immediately there, I think, behaving like a bootstrapped company is silly um, because you've already gone down that road to some degree. Um, and now your obligation is to go maximize their returns as much as you possibly can. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go raise and raise and raise and raise, for, raise forever. Um, but I think at that point, it becomes a, not as good of an idea to go um, and, and try to behave like a bootstrap company. But that's exactly what we did. Um, we behaved like a brand that was trying to grow entirely off of profits without understanding how much working capital was going to be required to do that um, and how bad it is to try to create profit off of, brand, off of e-commerce brands growing at the earliest stages. We we're buying these very, very small brands, trying to grow them very fast, um, colored, I think, by our, our success with Facebook ads, honestly, um, and, and, you know, in the past and just sort of like how much of a magic machine that was. As that got harder, this complicated it all more. Um, but in the midst of all that, my lack of, uh, of attunement to those um, issues of capital allocation and of capitalization more broadly uh, became really, really big problems for us. And, uh, and that especially got pronounced when we acquired even more brands, when we got to brands five and six in this process, and, and especially when those brands didn't work very well, um, at least two of them. And, uh, and so then now what I did not realize in that whole process is that I did not have, I did not have the um, cash on hand to sustain those losses without it creating real problems for us that took a lot of digging to dig out of. Um, and all of that comes back to this financial understanding piece, which is that like, I just really didn't know how to think about this. And I, and I was so unaware of the sort of like um, capital raise, like the, the finance markets basically, um, and sort of how those played in and, and how as a CEO, I, one of the things I could have and probably should have been doing is going and raising another round and thinking about what kind of businesses we want to acquire. And, and, and ultimately how that was going to get us to this $150 million valuation. At the end of the day, what needed to change was either that valuation goal or the, or the, um, or the way we capitalized in my view, um, yeah. uh, or, or our investment thesis somewhere in the middle of that. So yeah, that created a ton of problems um, across the way and cash management became very difficult and put us in some real corners. I, I look at it and the other variable is just the kind of business that Bamboo Earth is, like the primary growth engine and what was available to you in terms of that business has a potential to have really awesome return on invested capital in a 12 month yeah. window that's net negative on a, on a present value, like first, first order basis. And so that those kinds of businesses require specifically the capitalization to execute the strategy. And here, here's the thing that I look back well, on. Let me, let me say one other thing yeah. about that. By contrast, Slick Products, if it is right. going to work, it's going to work on a P&L basis. Um, and might and, and like you're gonna have to outlay all this money for inventory um, yes over time and i didn't i have no i had no both are cash intensive for different yeah. different reasons yeah that's right yeah and, one on customer acquisition one on inventory side yeah that's right that's exactly right and so i look back january of 20 2001 okay the month that's that bamboo does has an incredible 2001 month. is wrong uh 2019 yeah no january 2001 the month that bamboo earth has their hugest month in company history 
January yeah, 20, be... 2021, 2021. I'm saying 2001. January of 2021. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, look, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. If we go to market and raise yes. coming out of the FC Goods sale with that Bamboo Earth money, I think we raise at a $50 million valuation we talked without, about this. without any issue. Um, yeah. And I, it, it, that, and we could have put 10 million bucks in the bank. Um, given where the, where the market was at that point, we could have continued, we could have invested in more of a broader marketing. Like that was the moment I think that when I look back and that's where I just go like our lack of, and, and candidly, even like, I think that was part of the frustration from some of our board members that like, they were pointing to like, you should always be in market. Like you, part of the point of always being in market is you're checking yourself on the value of your thing and you're yeah. creating external obligation to the market's assessment of you. Um, and so I think that that's a big moment that I, I, I go, yeah, yeah, they they were right on that. So I remember that conversation directly with that, with exactly which investor you're talking about. Yep. And he was saying this with all this insistence and I was kind of going like, on the one hand, I was going, this guy knows more than me. And I know he does about this area of business, but I think he has a different vision for the business than I do. And so that's, what's compelling him to do this. And I just, and, and I, and what, so what happened is that I just, I didn't have the insight um, for, for that, for that, for his insight to land. Like I, I didn't yeah. have enough experience and knowledge for that to resonate with me the way that it should have. And now you're exactly right. We want right there. We should have raised right there. Yep. We should have raised for sure. It was yeah. the best position we were in. And it would have been a, 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 like where the market was at in that moment too. It would have been so easy. It would have been crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, number two for you. Okay. Um, this is where I get a little bit philosophical, but that's good. Um, right. Having poor accountability structures that begin with myself. Um, so I, we are, you know, we my, are in lockstep here. You've, you've really previewed number two oh, for sure. Yeah, keep That's going. so funny. So I, uh, you know, this is part of my own story. Like I, I don't have a relationship with my dad. I have basically nobody in my life that's in a position of authority over me, um, or have historically not had. And I carried that into my business. And it's part of why candidly, I, like in seven years of being a CEO, like, uh, I was given a lot of room to make a lot of mistakes because I had total authority not not exactly practically but i was given a lot of trust by a lot of people and didn't have specific obligations um and what well, that led what, to let me say this you you have yeah. two equal partners in ctc right yeah. now and yep. um and what i know is that you have functional authority in those rooms because of the the trust that people have for you as a leader so yeah. even though it's like positionally it's actually not the case that you have you have or had any more authority than them really well that's not true for the whole time of ctc right so right. ian came in in year three yeah yeah yeah, that's um, right yeah that's right so 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 yeah at that point and then uh, jordan was the other partner that has now right. left so yeah there's been there's been variation but yes i did not have majority control of ctc yeah. from the vast majority of it so practically that's not true but there was never any stated uh, circumstance under which i could be fired or was obligated to a specific performance like that just didn't exist um and what that translated to, because I had poor accountability structures for myself, I created poor accountability structures inside of CTC. Uh, and so what that led to was areas where there was no clear standard of performance and expectation, um, which led to waiting too long to fire people because there was no clear rubric for which someone should be fired, um, which led to people having negative toxic effect on the organization because of uh, that lack of clarity. Um, and down to like, we there was periods in our time as an organization where uh we couldn't clean up the dishes in the office like that was the level of cultural in effect this lack of accountability had and ultimately the, like one of the black marks on ctc was we at one point had to fire i think 25 percent of our workforce it was like the hardest day probably in my sort of seven years of doing this and it was all that it got to that point 
because we didn't have the expectations of uh, the system along the way um, to root out those problems earlier. And as a result, it got to a head where we had to make a drastic decision. Um, and I'm actually proud that we were able to do it because a lot of people, you can't get through that door, but it was really painful and caused a lot of harm. And so that, that whole system of accountability for myself um, is something that I really regret not doing sooner. Yeah. So what kind of accountability have you since put in place and yeah. how has that been helpful to you? So there's, it began with a personal journey of like, uh, uh, I have now a, a coach and mentor friend that I submitted myself to for a process. It's sort of weird, but it's like, it involves fitness and lifestyle and habit routine that was about creating obligation to people. And then, uh, so that's something I've been doing now for about two and a half years through with my coach Dana Sanders. And then uh, practically, I now report to a board. We formed an S Corp and I submitted myself to governance of an external group of people for the first time. So I now have uh, obligation to report and can be fired by a specific group of people that includes employee re elected representatives and um, two shareholders of Dream Labs and, and, and one CEO uh, appointed representative. But that, that board of five people is my boss. And that's the first yeah. time at CTC I've had that. Yeah. And, and then how has that helped the organization because you mentioned that this started with you but then so it's then, clarity uh, it's clarity of our goals in a way that uh we have consensus around an obligation to so it's easy the board has to approve our budget and so this year being able to say this is the number the board approved i also have a bank boss now which is interesting as part of this process <laughs> so i have covenants with a bank as well so that's another new thing um that actually is very real as well so both of those parties have given me expectation as the leader that I now translate to people and are immovable objects, right? So I don't get to decide that we can change them. Um, and so I feel like uh, a there's a competitive side of me, there's a desire to please, there's, there's all sorts of like desire to succeed for the shareholders, all of it is in the pot of like this number now. And when I talk to people, it actually like, it's weird. And this is where I think this is the weakness of me as a leader is I feel more authority now. It's, it's weird. Uh, uh, to, to, for the numbers to say like, no, 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 we don't get to change it. No, no, no. You have to go solve this right, versus I think I would have put their hands in and because you have accountability to it. That's right. I think I would have, I, I was more willing to go, oh, okay, well, well, we'll adjust the forecast down or, oh yeah, I hear you on why that reason why we can't do something because it was just me. And it, like, I got subject to wanting to please that person and not to be mad at me. But now I like drawing the line is actually easier under my own obligation. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's so that's, that's a good segue to, to mine. Um, because you just saying that like you are, I don't think of you as a people pleaser at all. You, you, yeah. you are really good in confrontational situations. It's one of your, <laughs> it's one of your great skills. I, I mean, that is a compliment. Like, yeah, yeah. and, and it's something that I'm always trying to grow in is just like press into tension. Tension is, is potential energy. So, um, so like being able to do that is really good. So if you are feeling the people pleaser instinct around those kinds of things, how much yeah. more for somebody like me? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what I'll say is, um, so my, my big mistake number two is what, what I would just sum up under the, under the header of bad management. Um, like, and I, and I mean that in the sort of the technical sense that people talk about management and business, right? Um, so that starts with goals and accountability. Like we just never had a four by 400. We had this $150 valuation, but, um, because of a few things, um, for one thing, it kind of never felt like it was mine enough, I think. And then it was also like, I, which there's, I have a lot of reflections about that element of being a CEO, but, um, the, there's this goal that's kind of out there and we didn't rally around it and we didn't, and we, we sort of projected to how we're going to get there for over a five-year window. And, but that didn't, that didn't, that projection wasn't binding. It didn't really like do anything, you know, it just was kind of like, yeah, here's how we get there. Um, and then 
And then that never, ever turned into real accountability to anybody in the organization in any way. <laughs> like, I mean, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about sort of like a, an employee who I managed really badly. Um, and it's because this person had really no clear goals ever. And I think I just didn't understand. And this is, this comes back to, I think that discomfort with the title and some of that stuff that like, actually my obligation to the organization is to sit in that seat, to bear that authority um, on behalf of a goal that we've all agreed on, actually, that it's not just my goal, but that we, that we've agreed on and to lead us to get there and to hold people accountable along the way. And so that meant that people didn't have very good KPIs. I mean, we had some of these kinds of things, of course, it's not like we were never having a performance meeting or anything, but it's, but it just was totally unclear all the way. And I would do that kind of thing that you just talked about, but times 10, which is like, like, oh, I see why you couldn't get there. Oh, I see why you can't. Da, 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 da. And it's not really your fault or whatever, instead of being like, that, that's, that was the goal. That's what we have to get to. And that's what we need for success. And that's what we owe to the organization and to our investors, people who have given us their money and their trust and all those kinds of things. Um, and so it was just sloppy and lazy. Now, when we were really small, um, I would say we had some of our most success in the process of running for Red 400 was before the organization got too difficult, like things were going really good. Um, and I think, and this is, I think, true in organizations that a lot of times at a very small stage, part of the problem is you can paper over a lot of that stuff with like kindness and being good people to each other and listening. And then like doing that, that stage of work where everybody's kind of in each other's business all the time. And there's a million different things going and, and there's just kind of energy that happens and, and that can work. Now, if I was doing it again, I would actually establish those things from day one right away anyway. Um, but, um, but, uh, I think once we started to try to scale, that was where these kinds of things really came out. It became like bad hires and bad, like, uh, I, I mean, I think, our compensation was all over the place. Just, it wasn't rooted in anything. People didn't have good management training. They didn't have good processes. They didn't have good KPIs. And it's just this whole sort of mess of like sloppy, sloppy, sloppy management. Because I think in the early stages, I could paper over that with, um, for one thing, sitting in a room together, it's got harder when we got remote too. Um, and, uh, uh, and then just kind of like pull each other aside for a conversation when you needed to. Um, again, that's not great either, but we could have, it, it worked better when it was smaller and easier. It, it was a disaster when we scaled, I think. Yeah. And I, and one of the things, and this affects when we talked about the grading and we get there in that conversation is that I think you are downstream to my problem, right? Like, uh, is that the accountability that you had was not good enough either. Right. Like, oh, for and sure. I think it's for sure. Uh, and we didn't have organizational, like when I say organization, in this case, I'm talking about dream labs, like parent of all these entities, we don't have great, uh, accountability structures at that level. And so, I think this is this is like a problem that has infected every area of things that we touch um, in ways that we can't just replicate the thing over here because we don't do it well yet. And so it becomes a disease that spreads across all the things you do. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Uh, Dream Labs, if you don't know, yeah, that's the parent company uh, uh, sort of across CTC and for over 100. And that's right. We've, we're kind of all over the place. And I think we don't have enough clarity and accountability for kind of each person's role and all of that sort of stuff. So um yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it is downstream sure. from that. I think I didn't have enough from that from the board, from others, and it just kind of yep. floated. It just floated um, from there. Yep. All right, number three for you. Okay, this one's this one's going to take a little bit of explaining, so I'll try to do it clearly. I'm going to call I'm, uh, the best that phrase I could do to encapsulate it is what I'm going to call cultural sensationalism. Okay, um, and this is an idea, and this to me again is rooted in my upbringing. Is this idea that this business is going to be everything for you? And I care so much about being the best place ever that you've ever worked and that you feel so cared for and loved by me. Like, and so, you know, it's funny, I, I've reflected, I, I actually have more of a people pleaser thing in a way that what I care about is the story they have about me. Um, 
And so that really matters in their story about CTC. And I not like I love I'm addicted to the idea that I'm a way better experience than anything you've ever had. Right. Like and so in that CTC early on in its early days, like it was like summer camp, meaning, you know, that feeling when you're like, it's just your best friends ever. And it's the best thing you've ever done. And you hang out and it's just you're playing mini hoop basketball. And it's just like it's all the feels. And it's like but looking back, it was so emotional, like everything about it was so emotional and the language we used. And I reflect a lot on this. And like, again, we're going to bring up church culture because I think we both spent a lot of time in it. But it's the way in which the term family gets utilized a lot um, in, in these settings. And totally. that that translated over to me into business in a way that I think I made promises to people that were really damaging um, about what I had to offer them and what the expectation of was them in that exchange. Um, to the point that like what like if and this is going to be really vulnerable because this is like one of the sorest subjects in the world for me but if you read ctc's glass door and i'm just going to go there you're going to hear from people that were hurt by ctc and at first like uh i used to read those and be like oh these people are just bitter and trying to harm me and what i've learned to do is like no realize that i harmed them and i did that and we did that through the delta in the promise that that we made to them versus the experience that they had and um bringing those things into a more right relationship where there's expectation and care and then i'm clear about who we are who we're aspiring to be but who we aren't yet um and being much more honest about that is uh really really important because when all, when all you say is we're the glass door best place to work and we have this amazing program and everything you're experiencing here is going to be incredible um especially for people who I didn't understand what their experience of CTC was like. I'll say this for women, for people of color, for other people who I didn't understand enough about what their experience of my place was like. Um, and as a result, like I harmed people with those promises by an inability to actually live into them as an organization. And um, I think more candor about who we were and what we had to offer and what you needed to bring and what the expectation of was you along the way uh, of you was along the way that this wasn't family that this is a team this is a an exchange that requires something of each other or you don't get to be here um and then what we really had to give and what we what we were ready to give i think um i hurt people and i'm aware of that and so um i don't know yeah. that's my function it's a, it's a really good one i i um i think there's a couple things there one of them is it's interesting how much like i think I mean, you framed it a little bit negatively, like the addiction to the story of uh, the positive story people will tell. But I also know you enough to know that probably yeah. that came from a sincerely good place too, that you probably did really want to yeah, provide yeah. something excellent for people. And it's one of those things good where, like, good, in leadership, right? Like good intentions are not enough. Like you, you actually have to, yeah. the execution yeah. of those things matters and they do matter, right? Because like, I've been around bad intended, like bad intentions leaders, and that's worse. <laughs> um, you know, that's where it just becomes like really toxic, and people just get exploited in these crazy ways. But, um, but I, I think there's a responsibility you take on to say, like, man, it's sort of not good enough for those good intentions to be there. I actually have to listen, and I have to build process, and I have to do all these things that actually make that experience come to life in the ways that are supposed to, and have the right analogy. You know, team versus family, and all that um, kind of stuff as well. I think that's super interesting. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that's a great reflection. I, I, I'm really sensitive now to when I see people, how people use the word family um, in different organizations and, and all that kind of stuff, because yeah. it's um, a really it's, damaging it an, term. It's an overpromise, you know, and it's and it's yeah. not what the relationship is supposed to be. Uh, it's not. That's not. So um, I think team is a great analogy. Team is exactly what it is um, because yep. of the shared expectation to a collective goal. Um, yep. So 
Yeah, uh, it's really. There's good. even there's, there's there's so I don't know if you've like seen the, the Facebook changed all their values yesterday. Mark Zuckerberg did a big thing. So what? So one of the values is. Uh, so I guess early on, Instagram used to have this uh, post in their office, and it and it was ship shipmates me. Okay, and this is an old naval I guess phrase. And so it's the idea of like the organization, then my teammates, then me. And so Mark Zuckerberg, they changed it to MetaMates, Meta, me. Um, and they, so he's getting torn apart for it. But I think there's this real question about that sequence for me that um, I think is an interesting values connection about like, what is the expectation of people? Are they actually supposed to be subservient to the whole? Like how true is that? And this is, I think is a very philosophical, um, I think about collectivism versus individualism and what I believe about that, that I'm working through. But I think inherent in all of this is this, like, what is the value of the individual and their experience versus the collective? And how often do you trade those things? Um, And I think it's hard. I think that's a really hard space to sort out for business owners. Yeah, I I think um, the other thing that compounds the challenge there, and this is going to be a broad cultural reflection as well. So hopefully, (laughs) hopefully it's not wrong. I don't know. Take it out. Take it out. I, you know, there has been plenty of study in the world around the idea that people are more isolated and lonely than they've been in a long time. That they have less engagement in social institutions. You know, decline in, in places like churches. And and the classic book is Robert Putnam Bowling Alone. The idea that people people bowl as much as they used to, but like bowling leagues have declined massively. And the idea is that people are going bowling alone. They're not a part of a collective shared thing anymore where there's community. Um, uh, or at least they were when he he wrote this. I don't know how bowling has since gone, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, I don't keep up on on a number of bowlers in America. Um, so, but anyway, the the notion is that people are sort of more socially disconnected from before, and people attribute all kinds of things to that issue. That um, adults in particular have less friends, um, and then also with the decline potentially in religion in particular, that there's also a decline in people's sense of grand meaning in their lives. And so now you've declined sort of social institutions and meaning. And that means that there's a place that people look for both of those and that's work. Um, and that like work now becomes the place of meaning and of social connection in your life. And so um, and so now that, that puts quite an expectation on a, a, a workplace to go do all of these things for people. Um, and especially if you're a well-intentioned leader like you, Taylor, to, to who wants to create something great for people, um, Man, that can be quite a storm of stuff to create very, yeah. very, very high expectations without potentially the tools in hand to meet it because maybe work's actually not supposed to be that. That's right. And I think that, that you're getting at something really interesting, which, yeah, what is work's capacity to fill that void? But I'll tell you, like, I bit bit full bite, like, that th- that I should take on that responsibility and burden as much as I can and I that I wanted to be all of that those things for people. And I actually find that to be now looking back like a, an arrogant misunderstanding of my capacity and the organization's capacity for them. And that's where I think the some of the harm was done. Yeah. Okay. Um, my third one, um, and this is a really specific thing as well, um, but I lacked, um, and I think this comes from my lack of confrontational willingness to be confrontational, but a lack of insistence on having things written in contracts um, and having things That's or good. abiding by contracts that were already written. Um, I had the idea in my mind that we could paper all that over with like our good intentions and kindness toward one another. Um, yeah. And yep. because at 4400, there is shared, this, this was not my mistake, although I would think we would all say this is a mistake now. Initially, we set this up so that we would acquire these very small brands and that the founders of those brands would maintain an equity position in those. And the logic was this will align our incentives, um, right? That um, all we're trying to do is grow these brands together. Um, and so for over hundred owns the majority of the brand because it's our money. Um, the founders own a, a minority of the brand. Um, 
and uh, and we'll grow and win together. And that was also with the idea that we would spin off and sell individual brands one at a time. Um, and that would be how we would generate revenue, which we came to realize is a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Um, but um, but as soon, especially as soon as we made that change, that we were now not going to try and spin off and sell all these brands. Now the incentives actually were not aligned at all, um, because now for for hundred had a collective thing that we owned, uh, all you know, all of essentially, and then these founders only owned parts of their individual businesses, and that meant that as money moved between the entities involved, the brands and four by four hundred, you had to be crystal clear about doing that in a way that was ethical and in a way that was, um, uh, yeah, just yeah, above board and reasonable for the services that were charged, and there are simple ways you could do that. One of them is to align yourself on a contract of sort of how much you are going to charge the brand for your services for, for 100 control the bank accounts for both. Um, and so you, you could try to get the founders involved and insist on a contract and abide by that contract. And we actually had one of those from an early brand that we acquired. Um, and then secondly, um, if the founders did not agree to that um, and did not like your terms, then there was another move to do, which is to charge fair market value for those things, whether they liked it or not. Um, fair market value is by definition fair. And so, um, so the idea would be that you would do that. And, um, in my trying to manage all of the relationships, I just did not do a good job at all of pressing into the places where they were, there were founders were never going to see it the same way that I was going to see it, um, where our, where our alignments or where our incentives were actually not aligned. And that's just the reality of things. That's the deal they made with clear eyes. That's the deal that we made with clear eyes. And then to go play that out according to the obligations in hand. And again, that just created all kinds of things. It created, um, cash challenges related to the movement of cash. It also created, um, relational problems along the way. And I want to be really clear. This was not because anybody was a jerk. Uh, it, it's not because anybody was being mean. It's because of the incentives and uh, yeah, rational self-interest, yeah. right? Rational self-interest. That's exactly right. Um, and so, um, and so that, that ended up just being an incessant headache. What I, and I thought of it, you know, we have this phrase that small fires burn. I thought of it for a little while as a small fire that we could put out later. It was not, it was not a small fire. It threatened to consume the whole house. It was a huge fire and I just didn't see it. And, um, and my, my lack of insistence to say, get it written down, have clarity about what happens if it doesn't go right early on, let the contract be a thing that now governs the relationship that actually yeah. allows everybody the freedom to just do their work. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's such a great sort of synopsis of, of that issue. And I, like, I go back to this. Part of it was, again, I root that in like friendship as being a poor soil sometimes for right. business, because we assumed things about each other um, that yes. were were unfair because like, and again, it is unfair to that two people with different incentives will remember a conversation the same way. It is unfair to expect that we thought the same thing about what the future would be like or what we were committing to, even no matter how much we all remember it one way. And I, I was in business with my brother forever. And I, and I remember constantly <laughs> feeling like, there's no way you think that. There's no way you actually believe that's what we agreed to do. And one of the biggest mistakes I ever made with this was like the rent deal with Ted at, at Karate. Um, I shouldn't we maybe we can bleak out names there but um but the, the the idea that i would say like oh i could leave at any time because we own the building together and whatever we need this lease right now cool no problem cost me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars like and and again i look back at that and i don't actually blame him i used to have this feeling that was like you went back on your word but like i'm asserting something about their view of reality that i don't get to decide and you know what does, you know what kind of thing was created to govern reality? A contract that states the terms that you that's both right. agree that's, to, right? That's right? And so you don't want to be subjectively interpreting reality versus each other. You'll never win. It's impossible um, because we suck at remembering things. I'm not actually as good at it as I think I am, right? 
but contracts are really great at it. And so they're, they're really useful. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, in that respect, the contract is a gift to the relationship. It allows, it, it actually gives people freedom to go do the best thing that's in everybody's interest and governs, governs that in a way that says like, here, now we can set aside this sort of, uh, interpersonal back and forth and just go do the work that we're trying to do. Um, totally. And, and so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that created all kinds of problems for me. All right. We got just a few minutes left. Let's go to the, the end of this portion, yeah. which is where, um, you give me a grade as CEO for I 400. Um, so I want to say a couple things about, uh, doing this. The, um, the first thing I want to say is that I have had, um, I have had this, my, one of my top reflections from running, from running for over hundred is um, that I feel like it was such a gift to me to get put into that position that I was not ready for um, and then to get to go make a bunch of mistakes. I, I, I now look back on this, this conversation. The reason I wanted to have this conversation is because I've been thinking constantly about this stuff and just thinking about like, oh my gosh, I was allowed to go walk through and experience these mistakes and you know, we didn't get to where we wanted to go with this thing, but the world is still here, you know, like it's, it's like, it's okay. And I'm sure people were hurt and damaged and, and there's real fallout from those things. Right. But the world is still here. And, and so what I then get the freedom to do is say like, man, I, I had the opportunity to go make a ton of mistakes and then learn from those mistakes. And what I'll say is um, even doing an episode like this and tweeting about mistakes and stuff, I think like, this might be a waste of time because I'm just not really sure there's a way to learn this sort of thing besides to do that. So, um, really hard, yeah. so, um, yeah, I remember hearing a great interview with a, an old guy right before he was going to die. A wise, it was a, he was a, I knew him or, uh, tangentially and he was a wise person. He lived, lived his life really well. And this young interviewer said to him, Hey, if you could go back and live something differently, like what would you do? And he stopped him and he said, like, you can't. And like, actually, like, I don't think I could have, like the idea of like, what did you tell yourself with your younger, when you, when you were younger, it doesn't matter. Cause you wouldn't listen. The only way to learn it is like to, to actually go make mistakes. So that's right. anyways, so, so, so maybe, maybe we can save you from some mistakes here, but, um, yeah. but that, that's the reason that I was thinking like, let's, uh, let's put a grade on it because I'm now to a point where I'm like very comfortable with like, if you give me an F right now, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten the chance to make mistakes and, and we'll go from there. So, um, so Taylor, yeah. what grade do you give me as CEO for by 400? So, you know, I'm actually going to blanket answer this. I thought a lot about this. And um, so I thought about baseball, okay, because that's our shared love. And I thought that I can't comp um, your rookie season to someone's peak year as if those are intended to be the same things, because they're not. And so I thought a lot about my first year as a CEO. Um, and if I, as much as I could remember about all the things that I did um, and the environment I was in that allowed the co a comparable amount of mistakes allowed me to survive and what didn't, okay? So there's a few different things um, in that. So I actually think I made just as many, if not more mistakes than you in my first year as being a CEO. That can very easily point to a number of incorrectly sure. done things. Um, and I look at a lot of CEOs in, in a similar vein and probably would think the same thing about their first years. I think you were inserted into an incredibly complex environment relative to my first year. That what was needed of you from the role was way higher than what was needed of me in my role. Um, I just had so much less risk in my business decisions. To use um, the baseball analogy, maybe I was uh, promoted to a, a higher league than I was ready for. You know, that's and I think I think that's part of it. Is like uh, you yeah. were rushed in your development process to it, 
And then like, like I got to start at a business that was at zero, right? Like um, that's a very different starting ground than being inserted into an organization who has capital investors, multiple things. Like there was just the amount of complexity was incredibly high. It's like dropping a new skier on a black diamond run, right? Like it's just, yeah. and then saying, are they a good skier or not? Like that, that to me is like a bad evaluation criteria yeah. of a skier. Like it's yeah. just not, so that's, that's the way I assess this. Okay. But if it was so, baseball, I would still have a batting average at the end of it, you know, you would, yeah, and you'd have a war, yeah. right? You'd yeah, have a right. war. And the, yeah, the point, yeah. Yeah. I used batting yeah. average just in case people don't yeah. know, but yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, right. So yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I think it's war. Yeah. Yes. So, so, yeah. So, so the, the point is like, even if it was over promoted at some point, like the game got played and the, mis- yes. and, and like the, the wins and losses happened, you know? And I, I think that is where it's really hard to come to any conclusion, but the, that there was a failure, right? Like if, on that yeah, criteria, yeah. but I don't think that's the right assessment of you as a CEO. And I think sure. this is important for you and for your consider Cause I know like one of the things you're working through is like, is that a thing I should be again? And like, yeah. I, I don't know if that's public or if you like you can. Yeah, it's totally public. I'm going to probably do an episode with this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that actually, is that who you are? Is that what you want to be? And I just don't want you to allow your run on the Black Diamond run as a first time skier to be the pride, like to to hold yourself to that lens that way. And so for me, what I look at is like the capacity to learn from mistakes. I think there were areas where the biggest thing I had frustration looking back that I think that there were things you were hard headed on that I wish you would have changed your mind on sooner. Um, and then I think there's a question about this underlying issue of people pleasing. That's like, Oh yeah. Will you resolve this and create conflict in your life at the level needed to do that thing? That's right. Yeah. So when I think about like the like 2080 future skills question, those are the two for me that I don't actually have any question about that. You would do finances better, that you would intellectually process the problems better that you would do any of those things. I think those two areas are like, how do you get off of a thing that you've gotten into your head in a way um, yeah. and consider alternative viewpoints? And this is a thing you've said to me before, too. Like, I think we, oh, we yeah. share this in some ways. And I, I took that to heart a lot when you said it, because I think you're right. And it's it's helped me a ton. Um, so all that to say, I'd give you a C plus. OK, on the basis of that scale, I think the, the you, you failed at the task. We didn't achieve the goal. That's objective. But I think that there's a C plus, and I still think you could be a great CEO if you were sure. interested in going after those parts of yourself um, and doing the work that would be required if you wanted to be. So that would be my yeah. answer. Yeah. Okay. That's gracious. I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give myself a grade too. My okay. grade is going to be a D. Um, okay. And I, so I think some people would say that would be too harsh or not, or, or you know, I don't know. But that's my honest assessment, I think. Um, and it's because of the objective reality of performance relative to the goal. Yeah. Um, and again, even, even if, even if there's all kinds of reasons for that, and if, you know, maybe you have to give yourself and you know, you were the one of people who put me in the chair, yeah. so maybe you have to get a bad grade for that decision or whatever, you know, totally. I don't know. But, totally. um, you know, and this is how these things work is that like, there's actually a whole ecosystem around you. So but part of the, part of the reason to do the exercise, I think is because, um, I want to actually step away from the sort of like feelings and moral judgment about that and just try to look at it as objectively as possible and say like, yeah. okay, what do I learn from this? And how do I know what I can do better? Because the reality is like, I think for me, for everybody, what am I doing now? Well, I'm doing the next thing now. And so like, whatever the next thing is, like now I have to go show up and try to do that as well as I possibly can. And so to reflect yeah. on the last thing, maybe it will allow me to have some tools to do it better, no matter what kind of, even if you gave me an A yeah. before, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so- And yeah. I think that with that, with that, like I think about, and again, you're gonna talk a little bit about this in another episode, but like your continued interaction with founders, I'd say whatever you're gonna do next, you're gonna to continue to interact with people who are CEOs. Right. Yeah. And so your reflection is useful to them and, and because they probably aren't self-reflecting enough. And so I know this is one of the things that one of the reasons, one of the things I'll say often to founders is like, um, 
they were talking about like me versus another agency. There's moments where I'll say like, well, one of the reasons you'll you should choose me is because I'll say things to you that other media digital marketers won't. Um, and like, so part of that in that reflection is a valuable asset for you in the places that you're going to continue to lean into because like you're going to continue to actually interact with founders for sure, whether you yeah. are or not. It is funny. Now, I think one of the ways that you get better at not being a people pleaser, at least, or at least stepping the confrontation is just by having more confidence in what you're doing. Like, so now yeah. if I was going to go into some yeah. of these conversations, if there was tension there, I would know how to navigate it better because of the things we just talked about. I would be able to press into the things I think part of the reason I, I've backed off from hard conversations at points is because I wasn't confident enough in my position and my opinion. And yeah. that's not as true anymore. Like I think now like there's some conversations I can have where I go, man, I actually, I know exactly. I mean, we, you and I have talked about this, some of the work I'm doing for CTC right now, right? This, right. The, the notion of like how I would have responded to this when I was at CTC before for 100 versus now is really different. I could feel it in my bones. Like it yeah. affects me so differently. Um, because of going like, oh, I actually now have all these mistakes that I've gotten to make. And and I understand those now. And so it allows me to do that. Hopefully it, it makes me gracious as well. But um, but yeah, okay, great. I thought that was a fun, fun exercise. C plus, yeah. I'll take it. Uh, I got a lot of those in college and I ended up with a degree. So there you go. There you go. Um, there it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Taylor. This is fun. Um, I think, I hope this will be helpful to people. I think it'll be interesting uh, either way. And, um, and I appreciate you taking the time, man. All right. Take care, buddy. All right, there we go. Uh, C plus from Taylor, D for me. Uh, the, uh, the the grade has happened, uh, and I will I will follow up with a separate, uh, a little more, maybe even touch and feel reflection on uh, on on sort of what I think about that job and what it would take for me to do it again, and, and some of the reflections yeah. on that. I, I'm I, uh, maybe that would be useful to some other people as they process sort of more internally, more subjectively, what these kind of things feel like. Um, uh, I appreciate you listening. As always, if you have liked this conversation, if it has been helpful to you in some way, we're always so grateful when you share it anywhere you possibly can um, or when you give us a rating and review. If you want to reach out to me or to Taylor, you could do that in a lot of places, but the best place to do it is Twitter, at Andrew J. Ferris and at Taylor Holiday. Links are in the show notes as always. And we will talk to you next time. Peace. Peace.